0: Well hello LifePoint, my name is Jeremy and uh, so grateful to be with you. And uh, we are in an incredible series called Now Playing. I know you know that. And uh, today I'm really, really excited about my my film today that I'm gonna be talking about, about uh, Minions and the Rise of Gru. And uh, hey, everybody needs Jesus, even Groove. all right? We all need Jesus, even Gru. So uh, I never thought I'd have a message title called Gru and the Gospel, but uh, that's kind of what I'm calling today. Uh, and if you've never seen uh, this movie, you ought to do yourself a favor and check it out. It's a great, great movie. I'm sure most of you have already watched it, and um, but if you haven't seen it, I would definitely advise to, to check it out. Uh, it's really a, a movie set in the 1970s. You can see that when you first, even the trailer reveals that, um, but uh, it kind of is like a backstory. That's kind of the What films are doing right now, right, with Star Wars and others is, okay, how did Luke Skywalker come to be or Darth Vader come to be, uh, Obi-Wan? And they're doing the same kind of thing here with uh, with Groot you know, who was he, where'd he come from about his childhood. And as you watch the film, you see that he's an 11, 12 year old boy. Um, and he wants to become a super villain. That's his, he's in class writing. I want to be a super villain. Um, and his idols are uh, really this group called the vicious six and this character named wild knuckles. And so, um, the other five kind of betray wild knuckles, kind of kick him out of the, of the clan. And there's an opening and here's Gru He says, I want to be in that sixth spot. I want to be a supervillain in the vicious six. But he thinks to himself, you know, I really can't do what I want to do with these minion kids around me all the time. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I love the minions. How could you not love the minions. I've, I even oftentimes tell my, I I may or may not have told my kids at one point in their life, Hey, if you don't start acting right, I'm going to trade you in for a minion. You know, I just, I love the minions. Um, and so you just can't help, but do that. Gru loves them too, but he says, you know, I can't get to where I want to go with you guys hanging around. You're always messing up. And here in the movie, he gives them this precious stone that he stole to be a part of the vicious six. They lose it, trade it in for a pet rock, and he's done with them. He goes, I can't get anywhere with you guys. You guys are embarrassing. You're always making a mistake. He says, I don't need you anymore. And so he does. And, and you know, if you've seen the movie, that he kind of goes on this journey to San Francisco, kind of gets kidnapped down there. And at the end of the movie, you see kind of this rescue plot come in. All of a sudden, the, the minions that he thought he didn't need actually at the end come and try to help rescue him. It's a, it's a rescue mission. And I think oftentimes that's so similar, so clear of a picture of the gospel of often our lives. How sometimes that we think that we don't need someone, but yet they come to our rescue. And there's no greater picture of that than Jesus himself. We think we can go through life doing our thing our way, and we say, you know what? I can't get to where I want to go as long as I have you holding me down, holding me back. And we think sometimes that we can't really, with God, we can't really get where we want to go, but really in the end... He really is our only hope and he is our, our rescue. So for the next few moments, I'm gonna look at one verse. Now I know what you're thinking. If you're just gonna hear one verse, this is gonna be a short message. Well, I can't promise you that. I'll try my very best. But I want to look at John 3.16. You know John 3.16. Every sports game you attend or you watch on TV or on the internet, you see that guy or that girl holding up that sign, John 3.16, or spray painted across their chest, right? But sometimes we can become kind of numb to that and understanding the power of that verse. Let me just read it to you. John 3, 16, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is a powerful verse. I want to share with you, just for the next few moments, four truths from this one verse that my pastor shared with me over two decades ago that I now want to pass on to you. That I think they changed my life in ministry, and I think they might change yours as well. There's four things I want to share with you from this verse. Number one, I want you to see the greatest love ever known. The greatest love ever known to mankind. It says, for God so loved the world. There's a teacher, a pastor, uh, you may know him, his name is John MacArthur. John says that verse 16 is undoubtedly the most familiar and beloved verse in all of scripture. Yet it's so familiar, its familiarity can cause the profound truth it contains to be overlooked. And that can sometimes be the danger. We get so used to a verse we forget the power in the verse. My former pastor, Dr. Bob Pittman, he said to know John 3.16 is to know the very heart of God. For God so loved the world. That's a powerful statement that God loves. We love many things, right? We love our favorite sports teams. Now, here in Ohio, you know, I, uh, as a former pastor here in Ohio, I know in my church we had some diehard Cleveland Brown fans. So i am tell you what, if if you're a Brownie, you have got to have unconditional love to be a Cleveland Browns fan, right? The Bengal fans are happy right now, mostly. Ohio State, you know, we usually pretty happy. We we love our teams. We we love our favorite restaurants. We have the, the go-to spots that we love, our favorite dishes. We have, hopefully you don't have your favorite kids, just your easiest kids right but we, we have our we have our things that we love. We talk about love so much in our culture. we have our favorite teams and restaurants, our favorite animals, our sports but this is not that this, this is a sacrificial unconditional love here in verse 16. for God so loved the world. actually the Bible even tells us in first John chapter 4:19 that we love him because he first loved us. Romans chapter five tells us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus went to the cross and died for us. Here's one thing I want you to know right now, LifePoint family, you are loved. God made you, he created you, and he loves you. And you are not a mistake. And he knows everything about you. Even the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about your life. It's the greatest love ever known to mankind, for God so loved the world. God does not love the whole world just because it's big. God loves the whole world also because there's a lot of bad as well. There's a thing called sin that entered this world in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible even tells us in Genesis, you can go back and read it in Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, that God reached a point where he was sorry for what he had made. But God found grace in the eyes of a guy named Noah. Man, you should thank God for Noah. I thank God for Noah every day. Noah built a boat when he had never seen rain before. You think people call you crazy? Imagine being Noah. People walking by every single day. Hey, Noah, what are you doing, man? I'm building a boat. Man, you've been doing that for quite some time. Yeah, but there's rain coming and they had never seen rain before. But Noah believed God so much in his word that he did exactly what he told him to do. And you know what? Because of that, Noah and his family got into the ark. All that rain came, flooded the earth, and got out of the boat. And I thank God for Noah. God found favor and grace in his eyes. See, God's love is unconditional. And God's love is sacrificial. It's the greatest love ever known. It's easy to say you love somebody, but a lot harder to actually show it. That's why Jesus said in John 15 verse 13, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Many years ago, I went on a mission trip. Maybe it was actually thinking 17 years ago. Went on a mission trip down to Peru. And our church in Memphis that I was a part of, we adopted a people group in the country of Peru. People who had never heard of Jesus at all. Uh, And they had never even seen a white person before. And so we went down there. We had to uh, fly into Lima, Peru, and then drive to the mountains. And we drove up the first 6,000 feet. And then we had to hike the last 6,000 feet uh, because it was so dangerous. There was no guardrails on the side of these roads. We went up the mountains to get up to these villages. Um, And so our translator looked over at us and said, uh, I was buckling my seatbelt. He said, don't do that. And I said, why, is it, is it wrong to buckle your seatbelt? And he goes, yes. And I said, why? I said, America, they tell us to buckle our seatbelt the moment we get in. He said, don't do that here or you might die. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look over the edge. And I looked over the edge and, and there were burned out buses and there were burned out cars and there was all this stuff where people had, driving up the mountain had fallen off the edge and the car had our bus had burned up and people had died. And it was at that moment, I was grateful that I took out a life insurance policy for my wife and kid back home in Tennessee before I left. And I remember sitting there, he said, if we have to jump that seatbelt, if you, if you click it in, you might die with the car. But if you don't buckle your seatbelt, you can have time to jump out if you need to. And I can remember thinking to myself at that moment, that's why these people are unreached. They are hard to get to. It's dangerous to get to them. But you know what? God loves them. And God wants a relationship with them. And somebody's got to go get to them and tell them about Jesus. Someone's got to go tell them about the greatest love ever known to mankind, that God so loved the world. Do you know the latest stats that 59% of this world is still considered unreached with the gospel of Jesus? That means that almost 4.7 billion people have yet to hear the name of Jesus and put their faith and trust in him. We should understand that there are those who have never heard the gospel. Why should there be those who hear the gospel twice when there are many who've never heard it once? Someone once said the gospel, it means good news, but it only means good news if it gets there in time. Think about that life point. There are so many people all around us who've yet to hear the name of Jesus. That's why we have to go. And I want to say thank you for your giving. As a leader, I help lead our state, our network of churches in our state. And I want you to know that your giving is making an eternal impact in what I'm talking about right now. You are literally helping people hear the name of Jesus for the first time, not just here in Ohio, but also around the world. We have over 3,000 missionaries all across the world telling people about Jesus Christ, and many are hearing the gospel for the first time in their own language because you're helping to send missionaries through our network across the world. 2021, there were over 592,000 people who heard the gospel, 176,000 people who trusted Jesus for the first time, and 22,000 new churches were started all across the world. LifePoint, that's because of your prayers and your generosity and your willingness to go and take the good news of Jesus. Right here in Ohio, last year in 2022, 32 new churches were started in our network. That's a 40% increase over the previous year and the highest increase since 2015. The nations are literally coming to our neighborhoods right here in Ohio. And you're helping us fuel and start those churches through your financial generosity. And I just wanna say thank you so much for that. It is the greatest love ever known. Number two, it's the greatest gift ever given. Look what it says there in verse 16. He gave his one and his only son. You and I will give many gifts in our lifetime. We're going to receive many gifts in our lifetime. And depending on how good or bad that gift is, is whether or not we rewrap it, throw it in the closet and give it away at our white elephant party the next year all right? And don't look at me all spiritual. You've done it too, just like I have. There's some gifts that we get and we're like, man, who can I give this away to? There's some gifts that we, that we receive, we think, man, how could anybody ever think of me in that way? Such an incredible gift. I want you to know this is the greatest gift ever given. Paul would actually say this in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 15. He couldn't even describe it with words. He said, thank God for this gift that's too wonderful for words. Paul couldn't even describe it with, with, with the language. He's like, I don't even know how to describe what this gift is that Jesus came for me. He went to the cross for me. You know, Valentine's Day, uh, it's February. Do you know that the latest research shows that Americans are going to spend $26 billion on Valentine's Day? That is a lot of chocolate. That's a lot of roses. I know inflation's up, but my goodness, that's a lot of money. $26 billion to show somebody that you love them. That's a lot of money. It reminds me of a story about a husband and wife and um, the husband woke up one morning and said, "You know what? I'm gonna. This whole day is about you." And so he he uh, gets her out of bed, and then he takes her to McDonald's and he he buys her a Happy Meal. And she's like, "This is kind of odd." And so he buys her the Happy Meal, and then afterwards he he uh, goes to the toy store and he takes her shopping for toys. And she's like, "This is getting a little awkward." Uh, and then uh, late in the day, he takes her to the circus. And buys her cotton candy and they ride rides on the carnival and they do all these things. And they finally get home and she plops down on the bed and she goes, I'm exhausted. And and he's like, Well, how does it feel? And she said, What do you mean? And he said, Well, you said you wanted to be six again. So I recreated your six-year-old life, you know, get a happy meal, go to the circus, go to the toy store. She said, Is that what this day is all about? And he said, Yes, you said you wanted to be six again. And she said, I didn't mean six years old. I meant I wanted to be a size six all over again, you moron. And so he got everything backwards of what she really wanted. Listen, there's going to be some gifts that we give that are great and some that are not so great. We're going to receive some gifts that are great and not so great. But can I tell you the greatest gift you could ever receive is the gift of eternal life in Jesus. The greatest gift you could ever give somebody is to tell them about eternal life in Jesus. It's the greatest gift ever given. You see, Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. And we owe a debt that we cannot pay. I think one of the greatest miracles is not that Jesus went to the cross. I think one of the greatest miracles is that Jesus went to the cross and he stayed on that cross. The Bible tells us that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to come rescue him, and he didn't. In the book of Hebrews, the scriptures teach that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know, I can't prove this, but I always think about what was going through the heart and mind of Jesus as he was there on the cross dying. I think he was thinking about you, and I think he was thinking about me. I think he was thinking about the world. It's the greatest love ever known the unconditional sacrificial love of God. It's the greatest gift ever given that could ever be received. What Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. God knows what it's like to lose a child. We oftentimes hear stories tragically of parents who have to bury a child. God knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows what it's like to suffer a loss. He knows what it's like to love someone and not get anything back in return. But in spite of all that, he loves. That's why this verse is such a powerful verse. It is the greatest love ever known. It's the greatest gift ever given. Number three, it's the greatest invitation ever extended. It's the greatest invitation ever extended. Look what it says there in verse 16. It says, he, so that everybody who believes in him... Do you know that this invitation doesn't go to just a select few people? It doesn't just go to a certain uh, neighborhood or a certain tribe or a race or a people group or a certain economic status. The Bible says this invitation goes out to anyone. Anyone. Anybody can receive Jesus as their savior. And here it says that this invitation goes to all. Can I tell you something? When the Bible says all, you know what it means? It means all. It means anybody can receive it. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The invitation goes to anyone anywhere at any time you and i have been given that incredible opportunity jesus came for us jesus came to rescue us in the same way that gru left the minions and thought i could do better without them in the end he realized that he needed them and those minions did everything they could to find their way to get to san francisco and to rescue gru from the situation he found himself in. The very one he thought he didn't need, he ended up needing to rescue him. In many ways, we go through this life thinking somehow that we don't need God, and then there comes a point in our time when we realize, man, we do need God. I can't do this life without him. I can't figure this thing out on my own. There comes a point in time when you realize that there's no more New Year's resolutions you can come up with. There's no more leaves to turn over on your own human strength and your own human ability and your own human wisdom when you realize, I need God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, God has put eternity on the hearts of all men. You know what that means? That means everybody is walking around in your neighborhood, at your business, on your campus, in your circle of influence, in your neighborhood network in your family and among your friends people are trying to fill their heart and their life with things that'll never satisfy them it's like the old song says looking for love in all the wrong places there's an invitation that's been extended you can imagine what it's like you can't just wake up and say i want to go to the white house i want to go to the governor's mansion I want to go to this party or that. And how often in life do we, as a a student or a teenager or as an adult, go, man, if I could just get an invitation to sit at that table, if I can just get an invite to go to hang out with that crowd, if I can just get an invite to hang out with that group and to be involved in that network, man, that would just change my life. And yet God has given and extended the greatest invitation that can change your life. You know the difference between religion and Christianity. If you break down the word religion, it means relig. It's like to re the word lig, we get ligament for. And literally if you look at the word religion, it means to try to repair, repair a torn ligament, relig. It's to try to do something that's been severed. Religion is man trying to get to God, right? Just like that old story in the very left side of your Bible in Genesis, Right? That Tower of Babel. They were trying to build their own uh, kind of staircase to heaven. And God said, No, you can't do this on your own. And He kind of destroyed that tower and confused all the people and said, You're going to have different languages. Religion is when man's trying to get to God, Christianity is when God comes to man. There's the difference. We can try all we can to try to repair something and make something right, but ultimately we can't do it. It's only something that God can do. And that's why God sent his only son to do for us what we couldn't do on our own. Sometimes people have said to me as a pastor over the years, well, Pastor Jeremy, I just, it it should have been me on the cross. I should have been the one on the cross. And, And I understand their heart and what they say. But can I tell you, you couldn't die for your own sins. The Bible tells us, That without the remission of, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. First Peter chapter one says, it was a lamb that was without blemish, perfect. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was without blemish, without spot. Jesus went into the cross to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Because we're all born sinners. Even if we went to the cross, we couldn't die for our own sins because there was a perfect sacrifice required. And that's what Jesus did that we couldn't. That's the invitation. Jesus invites you into a relationship with him. Think about this, life point family. You have an opportunity to have a relationship with the one true God, the one that created you and knows you better than yourself. He came to rescue you. Just like those minions came to rescue Gru, Jesus came to rescue us on the cross. It is the greatest invitation ever extended to mankind. Sometimes there's invites that are a little weird, a little tricky. Reminds me of a story of a couple. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida. We've all thought about going to Florida in the wintertime, probably right now, right? And they go to there to fall out from the icy winter. They planned to stay at at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. But because of their crazy schedules, it was difficult for the couple to kind of put their plans together and go together. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on a Thursday, while his wife planned to fly out the next day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email ahead to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter of her email address and he sent the email uh, without realizing his error. Meanwhile, in Houston, Texas, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a pastor who was called home to heaven following a heart attack. And the widow decided to check her email expecting condolence messages from family and friends. But after reading her very first email, she screamed and she fainted and passed out in her room. The widow's son rushed into the room and thought, why did mom pass out? And so he found his mom on the floor and saw the computer screen. And he said, she must have read something. What does she read? And he reads this email. And the subject says to my loving wife, I've just arrived. And so you can imagine there's a mistake here going on. And the email says, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I've just arrived, and I've been checked in. I've seen that everything has been prepared for your arrival here tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing you really, really soon. I hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. And you can imagine that kind of a huge mix-up. That's an invite that you really don't expect to get on your email inbox. Listen, the reality is, is we get invites all the time to many different things. But the greatest invitation you'll ever receive is an invitation from the one true God to enter into a relationship with him. That's the greatest invite. Fourth and last, it's the greatest result ever experienced. In verse 16, It says, those who believe, they will never perish, but they will have eternal life. That is so powerful. Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. You know, Jesus is the only one who's ever predicted his own death and resurrection and actually pulled it off. So I'm gonna go with what he says, because there's a lot of folks who've predicted their own death and resurrection, and their body is still lying in a grave somewhere. You know why that tomb is empty? Jesus rose again on the third day. Anybody that can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm gonna go with what he says. And Jesus says, if you trust in him, You will have everlasting, eternal life. There's a lot of results you're going to experience on this earth as a human being. But I'm telling you, the greatest result you'll ever experience is to go to bed at night and to wake up every morning and to be at peace with God. And to know that if today were your very last day, that you would spend eternity in heaven with Almighty God because he came for you, he came to rescue you. God sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is the greatest result ever experienced. You know, at the end of the day, there's really only two kinds of people in this life. That's it. Those who are lost and those who have been saved. And it really does come down to that. We categorize so many things, race and economic status, in which neighborhood you live in, and you know, single or married or divorced. We categorize so much. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Are you lost? Or have you been found? That's it. We used... The word saved in so many ways, don't we? Bankers use the word save for savings. Lifeguards use the word save to save someone's life. Firemen use the word save. Shoppers use the word save, right? When they come in with all their bags and look how much money I saved, right? Pitchers in baseball are known, closers are used, are known for saving games, right? How about doctors? Doctors use the word save to save someone's life. But Jesus uses the word save in a different way, in the most powerful way. He's talking about saving your soul. I wanna close with an illustration. It's by a guy named Albert Einstein. Most people watching, you know Albert Einstein. If you don't know, then Google it somehow. Einstein, the inventor, the creator, so much. Billy Graham tells a story of Einstein. That he was actually getting on a train and he was traveling somewhere. Albert Einstein gets on the train, he gets in his seat, but he can't find his ticket. And so he's there and he's frantically starting to sweat and he's just getting all worked up trying to find his ticket. And, and the workers on the train are like, it's okay, uh, Mr. Einstein, we know who you are, just grab a seat. Five minutes goes by, he's still frantic. He's looking inside his, his, his coat pocket. He's everywhere trying to figure it out. And they're like, Mr. Einstein, I promise you, you're like the most famous person on the train. You're good, just sit down and relax and enjoy the ride. Five minutes later, they come back. And here's Einstein on his hands and knees under the seat cushions looking for his ticket. And they're like, Mr. Einstein, what is going on? You're good. We know who you are. And Einstein returns and says to these kids, you know what, I appreciate that. I know who I am too. But what I don't know is I don't know where I'm going. And you know, maybe you're watching online right now, you know who you are, but you don't know where you're going. You don't know about your eternity. And I want you to know that Jesus is the greatest love ever known. He's the greatest gift that's ever been given. It's the greatest invitation ever extended and it'll be the greatest result you could ever experience to have a relationship with the one who created you and who can save you and take care of you for all of eternity. Know where you're going and don't put off until tomorrow what you could take care of right now. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, Lord, I pray that we would know not just who we are, but where we're going. Lord, remind us of how good you are. You're a good, good father. And you have sent your son to come and to die and to be resurrected so that we can have eternal life. Or we can have a relationship with the one true God. Oftentimes, we go through this life thinking that we don't need you. But in the end, we realize we do. And we need you to come rescue us. And you have come. And you've extended the invitation to us to have eternal life and to know where we're going when we die. And Lord, I pray that we would make that decision today and that we would go and tell somebody else about what it means to have eternal life found only in Jesus. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.